Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, today we will continue with our series of fixed income conversations and joining me for that, uh, glad to welcome back to the podcast Barry McAlinden, a senior fixed income strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Barry, good morning to you. Uh, welcome back and looking forward to catching up and hearing about your latest thinking on fixed income. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So, Barry, I know you're joining us this morning to talk about the most recent fixed income strategist report, uh, the monthly flagship from the Chief Investment Office. And for this month, Barry, I understand that the focus was on corporate floaters. So can you describe the different types and characteristics discussed within the piece? That's right, Dan. Uh, so we, we talked about corporate floaters and here senior loans or leverage loans are probably the most popular um, you know, that's an area that we've been preferring in, in CIO for a while now since uh, the weakness yeah, that took place in the asset class in 2020. Um, but we also describe other parts of uh, floating rate notes, including within the investment grade corporate sector. Um, there, uh, securities are issued with a ranking that's senior unsecured in the capital structure and maturities of about five years. They're usually issued by, uh, by banks. Um, and we also mention within the preferred securities universe the segments that are considered to be adjustable rate preferred uh, within both 25 par varieties, but also in $1,000 par. Um, and these also include fixed to floating rate securities. Uh, so they may not be pure floaters already, they might be fixed for a period of time before they float. In general, you know, benefits of floating rate securities really stem from the fact that you have a coupon that's not fixed. And therefore, it should have less price sensitivity to changes in both interest rates as well as um, credit spreads. Um, you know, investors may also look at floaters for periods when rates are rising, where their, their coupon resets could move higher, such as the period you know, that they were uh, under in uh, currently. But overall, you know, for the lower beta characteristics, you know, that floaters uh, provide for investors is, is one of the main takeaways. That in mind, you also want to keep in mind, you know, we're, we're in the capital structure, each type of floater ranks from senior unsecured to subordinated, like preferred to below investment grade, like senior loans. So you know, all those considerations are important for investors. Well, Barry, thank you for the backdrop. I will point out to our listeners, especially our clients, that the piece is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO, of course, for our clients who can... Reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the piece directly. But uh, moving along, Barry, maybe we can focus in on performance for a few moments. Relative to their counterparts, how have these floaters been performing recently, Barry? So this year, the floaters have been performing very well compared to their fixed rate counterparts. Not surprising, you know, given the, the spike higher that we've witnessed in, in interest rates. So, for example, in the investment grade space, uh, one to five year corporate are down 4% in total return year to date, whereas their floating rate counterparts are down 0.4%. Uh, for high yield corporate bonds are down 5.7% year to date, whereas senior loans or leveraged loans are down 1.5%. And preferred, uh, 25 par preferreds are down 10% year to date, whereas adjustable rate preferreds are down about 5.6%. Um, so clearly, you know, you did, there is a strong outperformance, you know, for the floating rate uh, portion of the market, given, you know, the repricing and rates that we've, we've witnessed already. Uh, in the report, we also looked at 
you know, the period of time when the Fed raised rates from 2016 to 2018, they were raising the funds rate um, in, a, you know, a, a pretty a predictable fashion at, at that point in time. And we wanted to see, okay, how did floaters do compared to their fixed rate counterparts at that time? Um, interestingly, floaters actually underperformed during the first 12 months of that actual hiking cycle, but outperformed during the, the next 12-month phase. And the outperformance on the next 12-month phase uh, stemmed from, you know, coupon resets that were uh, going higher as the Fed was raising rates, but also credit spreads that actually widened out uh, toward the end of 2018. And the, um, you know, lower duration of the floaters, you know, helped uh, their performance, you know, in the, in regards to rising spreads at that point. So, you know, the takeaway from the last hiking cycle, though, is that even though the Fed is embarking, you know, on a rate hiking campaign, which they started yesterday, um, you know, you don't necessarily see floaters continue on this outperformance, you know, like they may have done, like we witnessed already as rates have repriced. Thank you, Barry. Yeah, to your point, I know the Fed did hike by 25 basis points yesterday. We're recording here on Thursday morning. So sticking with that for a few moments, Barry, what differences exist among credit floaters today when compared to the last Fed rate hiking cycle? Yeah, so I think there's the three main differences. You know, first, of course, is the uh, benchmark rate, where the last Fed rate hiking cycle, most of the securities were benchmarked off of LIBOR. Whereas now, as we know, uh, LIBOR, the lender to interbank uh, offered rate, you know, is being phased out and new securities are being uh, offered in the marketplace starting this year with uh, replacement benchmark rate, which is for the most part been SOFR, the secured overnight financing rate. Uh, so that's number one is this, you know, transition to SOFR as a benchmark. Then number two, when you look at senior loans during the last hiking cycle, the majority of that market actually had a LIBOR four. That was a fixed coupon uh, that had it to be breached before you actually start your coupons reset higher. Whereas in today's marketplace, only about 55% of that market has a, a floor, a LIBOR floor for uh, existing legacy securities. So it won't take more, much more in terms of Fed rate hikes for coupons and senior loans to actually reset higher. In fact, um, most of the market should be in a position to reset higher after the Fed's um, meeting in May, you know, once they um, likely raise rates again at the next uh, at the next meeting, because the LIBOR floors only average about 73 basis points uh, for the existing pool of loans, uh, which you know could be breached, uh, you know, fairly soon. And then third, uh, for floating rate preferred, you know, we've seen this transition from a fixed to float structure that was prevalent in the last um, hiking cycle to uh, a fixed rate reset structure, which has really become more prevalent, um, you know, in recent years. And the fixed rate reset structure uh, is fixed for a period of time, usually about five years, and then it resets, though, but the reset frequency um, is, is every five years there uh, going forward um, based on a benchmark, which in some cases could be a five-year treasury. Uh, so you do see... Uh, you know, differences in, in how, um, you know, the preferred structure uh, when it comes to the $1,000 par has changed. Now, Barry, what takeaways should investors have when it comes to credit floaters? Yeah, so as the market is situated now, again, we think the next uh, phase for, for floaters' value proposition will likely come, um, yes, from their low duration, but I think the majority of that benefit has likely already been realized given the repricing and rates that has occurred. 
So the next phase will likely come from the actual uh, carry or coupon income. You know, that stands to reset higher based on the Fed raising the funds rate and therefore um, benchmarks that are highly correlated, you know, um, to that short term rate should also reset higher and provi- provide greater income, you know, for investors. So we think the value proposition is going to shift a bit um, in terms of uh, more defensive price characteristics that already took place to the income component going forward. I think also, again, investors should keep in mind when you consider these credit floaters where they rank in the capital structure and investment grade uh, bonds, you know, would, would rank the highest. They tend to be, you know, less sensitive. They, they tend to draw down uh, the least, you know, during periods when you do have, um, you know, more intense market corrections, you know, whereas senior loan or the, or the adjustable rate preferred uh, complexes, you know, can can experience greater downside just the nature of their lower ranking. Um, so we wouldn't necessarily, you know, consider these securities as cash substitutes. Um, but nonetheless, you know, we, we think that they can hold, uh, you know, a place in fixed income portfolios. Well, thank you, Barry, for highlighting those takeaways. So looking at the asset allocation table on page five, can you recap the fixed income team's current recommended positioning within the asset class? Sure. So, yeah, uh, you know, headed into this year, you know, obviously we were a bit cautious, you know, from both a duration point of view as it relates to where interest rates were but also for credit spreads, you know, they were still pretty historically tight. And, um, you know, as we are in a position to close out the first quarter on both fronts, right, we've seen a significant repricing higher in interest rates, but also a widening in credit spreads, both for investment grade as well as high yield securities. So we're now in an environment, you know, where both rates and spreads, you know, are, I would say, a bit more balanced from a risk reward point of view than where we started the year. Now, we really haven't made any major shifts, though, uh, within our fixed income positioning uh, as of late. When it comes to credit, uh, do like to take credit exposure at the short end of the investment grade corporate curve uh, based on, you know, rising yields on that short end where you have a two-year treasury now, you know, which is kind of flirting towards that 2% level and also credit spreads that have widened out due to some of the funding stress on the short end of the curve. So kind of a one to three year investment grade uh, credit portfolio now yields close to about 3%. Um, and we, we find that to be uh, an appealing you know, place to be uh, from a risk reward standpoint and credit. As it relates to high yield bonds, uh, we do remain neutral on the sector, but where spreads are that are closer to 400 basis points, Again, valuations are more in line with historical averages rather than being rich to historical averages um, from where they started the year. Uh, so, again, kind of the risk-reward in high-yield credit is more fairly balanced. And uh, finally, you know, as it relates to interest rates, certainly now with, you know, 10-year Treasury yields over 2%, um, it's closer towards, you know, the normalization that, um, you know, CIO you know, had been looking for uh, in rates. And it's still a bit cautious, you know, in, in taking on pure rate duration, but certainly it, it can provide some stabilization in a portfolio. Senior fixed, senior fixed income strategist, Leslie Falconio likes to refer to it as shield in a portfolio. You know, it provides some offset diversification properties, uh, that, uh, can, you know, help, uh, complement a broader kind of equity portfolio as well. Um, so, so, you know, the, certainly the, the rates 
uh, area um, can still provide that um, balanced and duration. But when, when taking on duration, we, we do like preferred securities at, at the moment, given the weakness in that sector that's uh, taken place year to date. And, you know, they do provide investors the ability to uh, capture credit risk of an investment grade financial, you know, being the bulk of that market, but earning incremental yield because of their lower uh, position in the capital structure. And within that market, it is important to keep in mind that the structure of the coupon, uh, as well as within fixed to float segments in that market, um, can be, you know, more defensive or sensitive depending upon the, how big the coupon is uh, or not. So within that space, uh, our uh, preferred strategist, Frank Saleo, you know, notes that coupons of fixed preferreds with, with better levels of like five and a quarter are higher. They're callable in the next few years, and you know they're trading at yield to call valuations now um, that are about three percent or more. Uh, and even if you don't get called, you know, you're still um, able to obtain kind of that, that higher five and a quarter type type coupon level. Um, you know that uh, can can give you good income over time. And then as it pertains to the uh, fixed rate reset uh, type securities. Uh, you know, do favor those with higher reset spreads relative to the traditional fixed afloats because, you know, fixed afloats reset quarterly, but all the fixed rate resets uh, tend to reset every five years or more. So there's a little bit more added duration risk. So there, there's certainly more um, opportunity in fixed income uh, than there was when we started the year. Um, but again, you know, within each segment, we do feel it's very important to to be selective and in, in, in monitoring, you know, the risk reward that investors are taking. Barry, thank you very much for the guidance outlining the thinking behind the allocation recommendations and for sharing some thoughts as well from your colleagues, uh, Frank Saleo and Leslie Falconio. Again, I do want to point out Barry has been making reference today to the most recent fixed income strategist. Uh, this is the monthly flagship from the CIO fixed income team. Title is Revisiting Credit Floaters. The piece has mentioned available for you now up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Of course, for clients, please do reach out to your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of that piece directly. Though, Barry, thank you again for dropping by top of the morning to provide some highlights and takeaways from the piece. Appreciate the insights as always. Thanks, Dan. Have a great day. Likewise. Thank you, Barry. And again, today we've been joined by Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. A top of the morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways 
and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 